Hello, and welcome to the Integrative Path Podcast. This is episode five. Uh, my name is Brandon Jacobs, and I am here with Heather Gaisley, and we are your hosts. Today's episode, probably a big fan favorite for lots of you, Death, Dying, and Grief. <laughs> so, uh, death and dying was something that I feared since I was very, very young. For those of you who might have followed along with pieces of my journey uh, via social media, um, the talk today is going to be around grief and for me specifically the passing of my dad in July of 2019, um, the most significant loss that I've, I've had to date. Um, we're choosing to talk about this because I feel and we feel like perhaps grief isn't discussed openly enough as something that is simply inevitable. Death and dying is inevitable and it is going to touch each and every one of us in some way. And I think, especially I was, I was made to fear death and fear loss. And, and I did. I was afraid of one of my parents dying since I was probably in grade four. And so we're going to take you on a little bit of a, a journey of what grief can look like and feel like and how you can navigate it. And it is not only come to Park Integrative Health because we have services that can help you because there are so many things you can do that have nothing to do with PIH at all. Um, but we, we've decided that we'd like to share pieces of this story because we do get reached out to a lot as far as grief goes and we thought uh, it would really do do our listeners some justice to speak a little bit more openly and actually hear our voices instead of just some words on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I definitely second what you have said in the opening here, Brandon, about grief, loss, death and dying being unavoidable experiences of this life. And I think in particular, in the wake of the last 13 months with the COVID-19 pandemic, individuals from all walks of life are experiencing grief and loss that's individual to them, but also this sense of collective grief and loss. And as you said, grief and loss, death and dying are ubiquitous. They span the entire lifetime. They will somehow in some way touch your journey through this life. And for myself, I've heard many stories over the last 13, going on 14 months of death, dying, grief, and loss. And they're far-reaching. Some of them are the death, death of loved ones, like you, you mentioned. And not just the death of loved ones from COVID-19, but the death of loved ones from any cause. There's the death of those that we might be caring for in our capacity as healthcare workers or primary care providers. And given our roles at Park Integrative Health, we're certainly privy to more of those stories. But I can, I can remember that in school as an acupuncture, ac acupuncturist, we were told that you would need to keep your chart notes for seven years. And that's seven years from the time that you stop treating someone for any reason, seven years from the time that they're no longer in your care, or seven years from the time that they pass away. And I did not expect that the very first client, the very first patient that I would have to hold onto their file for seven years because they passed while under my care would be your dad. Mm -hmm. So grief, loss, death, and dying, they touch so many people. It's 
in in this world that we're living in with the COVID-19 pandemic, it's the loss of connection, the loss of support systems, the loss of missed opportunities and milestone events like you and I were reflecting the other day on how we would feel when we were both in our sporting days playing high school sports or any other team sports that we were playing and what would it be like to to have that stripped from your experience mm-hmm. as an adolescent that, that that was so important. The loss of graduations, of birthdays, of holidays, of vacations, the loss of the way you thought your birth was going to go or the birth of your child and postpartum support and that vision. And then the unspoken losses or the unspoken grief, the grief that is tied to something that society sees as not as socially appropriate. So abuse, domestic violence, substance use or abuse. And then the widespread sensation of this loss of self or the loss of dreams. So I think, I think that there's been a significant amount of loss and grief and death and dying uh, that that I hope that people can relate to some of the things that you're going to share related to to the passing of your dad and the things that you learned and some of the moments that you'll share. I think what's interesting about this podcast is when we first thought about starting the podcast, we thought about how we wanted to inform people about the integrative path or integrative health. And part of informing people or providing education also includes sharing a very realness about life. Mm -hmm. And that oftentimes, and we've talked about this before, but oftentimes we're in pursuit of these great moments of healing, these great moments of change. And when we're in this constant pursuit of these great moments, we're, we're often missing the little tiny moments. So hopefully today we can provide some little moments around the topic of grief, loss, death, and dying. And I really liked that while you probably didn't touch on every single loss that is out there, we just want to say that we hear you listener and we see you and we know that maybe this doesn't apply to you, but it likely loss will apply to somebody that you know. So we know that the loss of, of my dad is a very pigeonholed thing. The loss of a parent, the loss of a hero or a legend or a loved one is what we'll be talking about from that lens, but it's not much different than the way we teach yin. It applies to a lot of different things. So take the things that work for you and leave the pieces that don't, uh, to add in a little bit of humor, um, we will be talking about some pieces of the book that I've written. I started writing as a cathartic way to to heal from my dad's passing, and I wrote all the way until a couple of days after Madeline was born, where I wrote my very last chapter. Um, and that that is another way that 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 you can heal with cathartic writing. But the humor in this is that uh, I soon will be looking for a publisher. So listener, if that's you or you know <laughs> someone who, who publishes books or is very interested in the lens of grief that I'm I'm choosing to share and discuss, um, we've we've got our info uh, on the podcast. Yeah. And if you <laughs> if you know how to self publish, you can also reach out to us and our our contact information will be in the show notes. So Let's get right into it, Ren, and let's talk about your book. 
and your book has been yet to be named. We've tossed around a few ideas. I think originally when you started writing, a big part of of the book was your experience grieving as someone who identifies as male yeah. or with a masculine gender. And that sort of changed in the last two years, just under two years. Yeah, I would say I first decided to really talk about it when uh, TJ Sadler from YAG Fitness reached out and asked if I would write something for the magazine and I said like how about I talk about like grieving as a quote-unquote man and I was trying to go at it from the lens of the old school traditional thought where men aren't supposed to grieve and show their emotions and you know the adages of you're too sensitive or you're too this and so I was trying to come at it from from that point of view and even though it was just over a year ago that I wrote it like I think the issue was going to be for March and not a lot of people saw it because then COVID came and I think since then like it almost feels outdated mm -hmm. saying that grieving like a quote-unquote man because I think that if that's the title that we chose it would be it would really take away from a lot of people who might be interested in the book mm -hmm. so I think it's really morphed in that sense and and it's a lot more about undoing what you've termed your death narrative yes and so if you're all right i'm going to share a little bit of your book right mm -hmm. from the beginning of your book so the preamble of brandon's book starts a little like this in 19 days death took my dad july 1st 2019 for 27 years i grieved the impending loss of my dad and death still came for him. The first chapter, titled Death, Dying and Grieving, reads, In 1992, as a part of an assignment, my homeroom teacher had us answering the following questions. Who is your hero? My dad. What are you most afraid of? Losing my dad. I have been grappling with the death of my dad for close to three decades. For almost the entirety of my life, I have carried around the weight of this death narrative and the limiting beliefs that continue to enliven the narrative. There is incredible strength to this narrative as it is woven into the very fabric of our culture. In the Western developed world, death is not revered. It is not viewed as a celebration. Our culture believes widely that death should be avoided at all costs. In fact, much advancement in Western medicine has been propagated from a strong fear of death. Death is the end. Death is final. Death is a failure of the self and soul. And death is something to be avoided. In the process of losing my dad, I have come to understand my purpose. I am here to play a small part in undoing the cultural narrative around death, dying, and grieving. By sharing pieces of my story, including memories of my dad prior to and through his death, I hope to support others navigating similar terrain. This will undoubtedly become the greatest work of my life. I hope by restoring death, dying, and grieving, Madeline will celebrate my inevitable passing May you find whatever it is you came here for amongst the pages and in the echoes of my words. 
I'm just shaking my head. <clears throat> Sometimes I can't believe that those are things that I wrote. Uh, as I hear them out loud, I feel like they've been either heavily edited by my editor, Heather, <laughs> um, but also it just seems like so long ago since I started writing and I feel like one day I just, you know, I felt like I had gone as far as I could in therapy at the time and I took up running again but was getting consistently injured and just I feel like all of a sudden I just kind of started writing and every night that you went to bed I just like stayed up and started writing and started writing and just kept telling you like I'm at 5,000 words and 10,000 words and 50,000 words and the words just kind of kept coming and coming and coming and for some of you who have heard me speak or write before like it comes out in all kinds of stream of consciousness and Heather pairs it down so that it makes sense. It's interesting that your dad's death was the creative impetus for this work and you write later on in your book that in the early days you were wrought with the feeling that your world after dad was devoid of purpose. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about that? Um, I think I've even shared with you in the last even couple of weeks that like one of the things that I'm longing for the most is that is that father figure, is that dad to say, I'm really proud of you and I see you and I feel like that's the, like that's the piece that's been, I feel has been missing for me. Even, you know, like last year was so interesting that Madeline was born and then I got to celebrate my first Father's Day, but also Father's Day without, without my father. So it's been quite, quite the interesting journey for sure. I mean, the fact that Madeline was born a day after what would what would have been dad's birthday but would have been born on the same day if it wasn't a leap year is just all all just doesn't seem real mm-hmm. you've talked about before some aspects of death dying grief and loss that seem to be myth mistruths or misinformation so the longing that you just spoke about, the longing for that father figure, lots of people will say, oh, it gets easier. It gets easier Mm -hmm. with time. It gets easier when you get through the year of first, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes here, Mm -hmm. but does it get easier? And what would you say to our listener that has experienced some kind of significant loss? And, And with the caveat that a significant loss is defined by the individual. It's not defined by the onlooker. What would you say to them about that? I'd say it gets different. <laughs> it gets different. It it gets easier from from time to time. I mean, obviously it's been almost 2 years now, which is which is crazy to even think about and talk about because it's still those 19 days still feel like still feel like yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um I would say that that it gets different, it gets easier sometimes and sometimes it's worse. Yeah. I like to think of it as riding waves and like sometimes you know your your ship is just bobbing around and you're you know you're above the water and then all of a sudden it's this big instead of a ship it's a shit and you're right underneath (laughs) and sometimes you're drowning for inexplicably no reason and so it does get easier with time and as we'll talk about like after the whole firsts of everything were gone it got a little bit easier but I would say the big waves of grief aren't as often but sometimes they're just as heavy and just as deep and you know I feel like I need even more even more rescuing in those moments because they just they just hit you out of nowhere Mm -hmm. 
You write in your book, when someone you love dies, a piece of you also dies. Despite best efforts, there is not a silver lining here. There is simply a gaping hole in the place they took up in your heart and in your life. And I think that speaks a lot to the experience of not necessarily trying to get to the other side mm-hmm. of of grief and loss, death and dying. Like, Would you say, in your experience, Brandon, is there an other side? Uh, no, I wouldn't. I mean, potentially. I mean, it really depends the way that you look at it. But I would say that there's... In my experience, there's no way to, to fill the hole. Mm-hmm. You're not filling it. You're healing it, and some things are going in it, and you're getting some armor around it. And But, like, I found that you can't fill it with anything. I'm, I'm thankful that I took up running and writing and some different forms of, of, self, of self-care and, and coping because I figured out really quickly that... It's not, it's not a hole that gets filled. Mm-hmm. It's a hole that is in, is in a, st- a state of healing. And I don't know that it 100% ever will be because I feel like every single time I think like, oh, like I haven't been really sad lately. Like me, I like even catch myself saying, maybe I'm on the other side now. And then like, I'll just come crashing back down and it feels almost debilitating some, some days. And I feel like if we didn't have Madeline... I'd probably be in bed for for a few days. Mm -hmm. Do you think this applies to different types of losses? Absolutely. I mean, and I could, I could go into all, you know, a bunch of different losses off the top of my head, but I don't want to do disservice to anyone who's listening, anyone that I might, that I might leave out. Um, But it can be any kind of loss that you listed, anything that we missed. I mean loss is pervasive and grief is pervasive and everyone deals with it differently that's why there's hundreds and hundreds of books because we're we're all we're all trying to live a little bit more of an easeful life i feel and as far as my death narrative went i really wanted to rewrite it and change it so that i wasn't so scared of it when you started your work in rewriting your death narrative did you feel like you were taught how to talk about death throughout your lifespan? No, I feel like it, I feel like it came up at lots of family functions, which for some reason, and I couldn't pinpoint where, like, I felt like it was inappropriate and, you know, family members used to joke about, like, oh, Brandon's favorite topic, death, and I used to think, like, yeah, like, why would I want to talk about my family dying? Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily know that I would have wished it. What I wish now is to change change it within our household change it so it's different for for Madeline and different for us and so that people who are listening or eventually reading will maybe have a differing perspective or some different tools or skills or you know a different way to look at what loss might mean for them mm-hmm. our yin teacher Joe Barnett often talks about the practice of yin being something that will help you live a more easeful life for the time that you have on this earthly plane. And in his very dry sense of humor, he talks about the fact that we're all drying up and essentially dying and undergoing contracture. And it's very interesting to me that we 
we we avoid death that even the way that our medical system is set up it is to avoid the end avoid the finality avoid going in the ground or or wherever we see ourselves going our physical body how do you feel are some ways that you can restory or change your narrative around death You know, I think I think I'm also still trying to figure that out. Ways that I can rewrite it. What I what I can say is I spent a significant amount of time, um, and lots of you would have heard this before with a with a shamanic healer on how to rewrite it. I did my own death ceremony in the cemetery. I gave gifts to spirit, and I asked spirit to help me to not be so afraid I essentially gifted back to earth all of the all the things I could think of that I've already grieved or tried to grieve or didn't know how to grieve the loss of pets friendships business relationships if you listen to episode two the loss of my health trust in myself I did I did this as a way to I essentially like give it back to the universe knowing that that didn't have to be the story. My story didn't have to be the fear of all of those things that I lost or the weight of all those quote unquote losses that I could, I guess, step into this next chapter of my life, which I feel like really started when I turned, when I turned 40. And so I would say that for anyone that's listening, like you can rewrite it with some really small things. And one of them would be talking about it with with anybody and I don't know I don't know the best way to start those conversations either I think you have to be I guess brave enough to have someone to say like I really need to talk about xyz and I don't mean this I don't mean this lightly like it took me a long time to even want to talk to you Mm -hmm. about any of it you have to check in lots and lots how are you feeling how are you feeling how are you feeling it's just like sad shitty bad like those aren't those aren't states of being much like when someone says like how are you doing the colloquial thing is good Mm -hmm. fine yeah we don't really tend to answer that question no and lots of us would then say like well i don't really have time to hear and i'm not really asking it's just a turn of phrase so uh I always say, like, see a shamanic healer or go to counseling. But again, the point of this podcast isn't free to access services. It would be to, you know, maybe walk in nature, potentially meditate, maybe start writing, do a walking meditation. You know, I, I can't say what it will undoubtedly be for for someone, but I I do know from experience that that you can you can change the narrative and you can change the story that you're living in. Listening to you talk about your book and your dad's passing and how your dad's passing was the impetus for your book, your book to me has always read like an untold love story. Mm -hmm. And I think that it reads as this continued love letter, as if you had a pen pal and this continued love letter to and for your dad about life after him Mm -hmm. one of the stories that you share 
when we facilitate our yin trainings is another story or a Hindu story uh, called Bardvaja. So I'm wondering if, I think I'll back myself up and I think it relates very beautifully to why you started writing the book, why you felt that your life was devoid of purpose and that this helped you repurpose your life and repurpose your life after dad. So can you share with us a brief, brief version of the story of Bardvaja? We did not plan, plan this as, as such. So yes, I will. Um, again, we'll want to pay homage to our teachers to know that this is more than just a story. This is a piece of the story of Bardvaja that has been ta- passed down to me and that I have have studied and so story of Bardvaja is he's one of the great knowers so you talked about Ashtabakra wanting to find the great knowers and seers and Bardvaja was very well learned and so in his village he was he was the one that kind of knew everything and people would come to him and ask him questions very much like Ashtabakra what is the way? How can I advance in this? And he kind of knew everything, but he just wanted to keep it to himself. He wouldn't share the knowledge with anyone. He just kept gathering and gathering and gathering and gathering until he was on his deathbed. <laughs> how fitting. Yeah, how fitting. He's on his deathbed. His teacher was Shiva. And all he wanted, all he wanted was for Shiva to come and visit him. Shiva comes, visits him and says, Bardvaja, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, I've gathered all this knowledge and I've done it in your honor. And Shiva punches a hole through the wall, reaches far across the land, grabs a big pile of dirt, pulls it back in, drops it at Bardvaja's feet and said, this is all that you've done with your life. This big pile of almost nothing. And then he dies. The end. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, so then he is reborn, as as happens in um, in lots of the teachings. People are reborn thousands and thousands of times. Um, so Bardvaja is given another chance. He's like, okay, I'm going to get it right. I'm going to get it right. I'm going to get more knowledge and more knowledge and even more and even more and even more. So he becomes even more knowledgeable in even more areas of his of life and he just can't give it away he just can't bear to give it to anyone except for him to tell Shiva what he's learned so then he's on his deathbed second time around same house big gaping hole Shiva comes in shakes his head Bardvaja what are you doing what are you doing with your life He's like, I'm doing what you told me. I'm gathering all this knowledge, and I'm the smartest man in all the land. Shiva punches another hole in the wall, reaches far across, scoops up a big pile of dirt, pulls it all the way in, drops it at his feet, and says, this is all that you've learned in your second life. This is all that you've learned. Almost nothing. Do you want another chance? And then he dies. He's reborn. This time, this time he decides... I'm going to do it differently. So he gathers all this knowledge and all this knowledge and he decides he's going to share it. He's going to share it with anyone and everyone who will listen. He gathers in people from all walks of life 
and he becomes the great sharer of knowledge. But as all, as all times come, now he's back on his deathbed. But now he's fulfilled a purpose. So Shiva comes in, not shaking his head. He's nodding. He's saying like, well, Bardvaja, this is it. It's like, I've got an opportunity here. He's like, you can either reach your final destination, which is to join me in the afterlife, join your teacher in the afterlife, or you can stay here. You can stay here on the earthly plane. You can be reborn. And in that moment, instead of going with his teacher, he decides to follow his dharma or his purpose, which is to share his knowledge with the world. He decides to fulfill it. And so, again, Bardvacha dies. But he is reborn and reborn again and again and again to, to share the knowledge, to share his gifts. He figured out what his dharma was and his teacher helped him. And he decided that and realized that his, realized, I guess, or re-remember that his life's purpose was to share what he has learned, to share what his experiences are. And so I feel similar in the fact of that I needed to, I guess, talk about grief. It wasn't talked about to me and I didn't know much about it. I didn't even know how to talk about it. I just kind of started writing and I got some good traction on Instagram. Some people you know, gave some unsolicited advice, which I guess you open yourself up to when you, when you write about very personal things, but, um, yeah, that's what I have to say about the story. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. I like that story because it talks about the purpose and how I think it's challenging when there's this desire to want to make you know, something out of every shitty situation, that's not always the case. We don't always turn it into our life's work, but sometimes experiences allow us to, or illuminate for us, what we can give back to the world, what we can share, even through, as I mentioned before, the darkest night of the soul, our darkest hour, our darkest experience. I'd like to come back to your book, and there's a chapter called The Train, and it's based off of a quote who we haven't, whom we haven't found the author for, um, so I'll I'll note it here as anonymous. But if someone knows who the author is, please by all means let us know. And so the chapter, the train starts with this quote, and it reads: "At birth, we boarded the train and met our parents, and we believe they will always travel by our side. As time goes by, other people board the train, and they will be significant." i.e. our siblings, friends, children, and even the love of your life. However, at some station our parents will step down from the train, leaving us on this journey alone. Others will step down over time and leave a permanent vacuum. Some, however, will go so unnoticed that we don't realize they vacated their seats. This train ride will be full of sorrow, joy, fantasy, expectations, hellos, goodbyes, and farewells. Success consists of having good relationship with all passengers requiring that we give the best of ourselves. The mystery to everyone is, we do not know at which station we ourselves will step down. So, we must live in the best way, love, forgive, and offer the best of who we are. It is important to do so because when the time comes for us to step down and leave our seat empty, 
we should leave behind beautiful memories for those who will continue to travel on the train of life. You go on to write, my dad has stepped off the train, but I want his memory to live on. Actually, I need it to live on. Grief smells of the rain at the close of autumn when leaves have begun to fall. It tastes of bittersweet chocolate mixed with the subtle note of coffees no longer to be. It stalls in the smallest places, the throat and the narrow chambers of the heart. Grief missed the eyes until you've forgotten that you can still see. I see my dad in everything, every sunrise and sunset, every football game, every street in Sherwood Park. I see him in every untold love story, every good thing I want to tell him, and I often ponder all the things only his spirit will see, rather than his physical form. Billie Holiday said it best with her song, I'll Be Seeing You, which is the tattoo I now have on my arm in his memory, in my own terrible handwriting that I clearly inherited from him. She sings, I'll be seeing you in all the old familiar places that this heart of mine embraces all day through. In that small cafe, the park across the way, the children's carousel, the chestnut trees, the wishing well. I'll be seeing you in every lovely summer's day, in everything that's light and gay. I'll always think of you that way. I'll find you in the morning sun and when the night is new. I'll be looking at the moon but I'll be seeing you. Well, I'm glad that uh, <laughs> this is just a podcast and not a visual because I've basically been crying in my own book and the words that you and I have written for the majority of this time. So I would say that the, the journey of grief can be very, very long. It can also be extraordinarily lonely, even when the right people reach out and they reach out in the same way, in the right way, whatever the right way is. The journey through through and into grief is, is very lonely, and I know that my family members have been on, on their own journey, and you guys, you know, anyone who's listening will be on their journey as well, and I'm sure lots of you can relate that it's it's very it can be very lonely even when someone's walking right beside you because you're in your own little world thinking your own thoughts that you can't really put words to i think we've done a good job with lots of visuals um yeah that's what all i have to say about that as we wrap up here will you share one maybe two pieces of advice or little nuggets of wisdom that you've come across in this journey of on your own integrative path this journey through grief loss death and dying as it pertains to the loss of your dad can you share just one or two pieces of wisdom i would say don't squish it down let it out find find or create a way not to be the strong stoic person crushing we're not going to get into everything that it does but like 
you gotta let those that inside come outside mm -hmm. have to the more you squish it down the more susceptible you can be to all kinds of um of health quote-unquote issues it's it's very important to get this these stagnant feelings out in some way whether it's talking to someone i don't know going to a break room and smashing some things walking in nature doing some exercise meditating it writing reading can be really it's it's anything because i never thought a that i would start running again and b i never thought that i would write so it, it could it could be anything so i would say find or create a way to get it out and also just if you can if you're in the space like let it happen be sad be angry you know your your loved ones will will still be there and they'll understand and if they don't like i said the the path through grief is is a very lonely one mm -hmm. so find ways to get it out and also let it happen i get that you know we've got work and kids and this and you know there's always going to be a reason not to grieve and that's kind of one of the things that we've heard the most is i just don't have time and i, I believe that to be true i also find it very sad very sad to not be given and afforded the time to grieve and I understand that maybe we are very privileged in that we've had some time and space but we also had to we also had to create a lot to create the space essentially so that my health didn't deteriorate the way that it did years and years and years ago because that is one thing that we were very worried about mm -hmm. well thank you for sharing your untold love stories <laughs> pieces of your book. Thank you for sharing your experience through grief and loss that is still and might always be very potent for you. Thank you all to our constant listeners, to maybe our not so constant listeners who might become a constant listener. Thank you for listening. We also want to remind you to continue to walk the true and integrative path even when your foot wobbles.